our world is a tomb. The Alzarians vanished, leaving their treasures behind. Machines, weapons, things that defy explanation. Much of it can be found in the ruins of their cities. Charred, broken down, rusted. Once in a while, though, through luck or hard work, a light flickers on, a gear starts to turn, and tomorrow becomes just a little bit stranger. From Elderblade Productions, this is Echoes of Exesar, Episode 3, Sunscape. largest map I had ever seen crashed to the floor. Ten-foot-long parchment, cracked and stained. Quinn slid down from the top of the ladder, perched against her monumental bookshelf. Smirking, she kicked the map open. It unfurled, stretching from one end of the laboratory to the other. I dodged out of the way. Plumes of amber dust kicked up into the air. I coughed. It was a map of Exesar. That in itself was unremarkable. There were many maps of our continent. From the Sea of Last Breaths to New Alzar, there was little thought to be uncharted. But there was one thing about this particular map that made it very special. The Sundering, I whispered, scanning the map. This is Exesar before the Sundering. Mm-hmm, Quinn said. She tapped on her brass eye. The tiny hole that was the eye's pupil shined a thin stream of bright light. She traced the light across the map, circling the heart of the continent. On this map, Exesar was in one piece, with a massive empire at its center. That was Alzar, Quinn explained capital of the Alzarian Empire. Our history books tell us this was where the Alzarians first made contact with Isolde's people, the Frights. I won't bore you with the details. We all know how that ended up. I nodded. Quinn was not one for history lessons, and indeed, the details of what happened are debated to this day. But we all know enough. Today, one thousand years after the Sundering, there is no Alzar. Exesar is split in two, and a gaping body of poisoned water sits where the Empire once stood. How does this connect to that trinket of Miss Liger's? Quinn smacked at the floating servant drone above her head. Hey, freak show, scan this for me. Toast. The orb agreed. Its red eye beamed a light over the Alzarian chip. Then, the orb turned to face the map. 
again it shined its light, this time projecting a series of dots and lines over the map. It took me a moment to realize the dots and lines were actually the markings found on the surface of the Alzerian chip. By themselves, they looked like random carvings. Laid out across the map, though, they seemed to form a series of pathways and map markers. The pathways stretched across all of Old Exeser, and all of them seemed to converge on Alzar. You've outdone yourself, Quinn, I said, stunned at what I was seeing. But what does it mean? Where do these paths represent? No idea, Quinn said. I don't have the tech to extract all the information. But whatever it is, I'm guessing it's big. Big enough to make somebody like Eleanor Liger go into hiding. I contemplated the map. Miss Liger was a follower of Adenism, the Alzarian religion. If you can call it that. The Alzarians basically made the whole thing up after the frights appeared. Justified their experiments on them. At least that's what Isolde said. Yes, well, try telling that to the thousands of Adenists out there today, or the Silver Sisters, or the Ember Apostle herself. Exactly. Lots of power and influence out there. And if there's even a small chance that whatever's on this chip could compromise it, it could make a lot of people unhappy, I finished. It was an understatement. The Church of Aden was enmeshed in the culture of Exeser. Branded as being inclusive of all races, anyone with a sliver of a mind could tell it was human-centric. The Adenium cast humans as the true inheritors of the Alzarian legacy. Other races, such as the Urso, the Aquatic Wula, or the Airborne Kikte, were treated like aberrations. Tosca's race in particular, the Drelish, were described as lost souls in need of reclaiming. The Candlelight War was littered with bodies of reclaimed Drelish. So what happens now? I asked Quinn. Without a way to understand these pathways, we're at a dead end. Have you learned anything from Miss Liger's body? No. It'll take me a while to perform a proper autopsy. Quinn hunched down and began to roll up the map. In the meantime, if I were you, I'd head to Sunscape. My eyebrows shot up. The Pirate Refuge? No better place to look for specialty goods. Things get fenced there that not even I know about. Also not a bad place to ask around about this Everwake business. Word travels fast out there on the sea. The thought made me... uneasy. There weren't many mist doors in the islands of the Sea of Last Breaths. If I went there, it was possible I would not be able to return for some time. Furthermore, Sunscape was not known for its hospitality. A haven for spies and cutthroats, loyal only to coin, wit, and steel. Still, Quinn had a point. If a storm was indeed brewing, 
where better to start than in its eye? I took the chip back from Quinn. I'll consider it, I said, taking my leave. Hey, be sure you rest up before you go, Quinn said, pushing the rolled up map to the wall. Get a hot meal in you. You can count on it, I called back. Your drone is making me hungry. Toast. I spent a restless night in my quarters. A spacious dwelling conjured from my mind and made real by the mist. A wide bedroom with curved walls made of walnut. A four-poster bed with lavender-scented sheets. A roaring fireplace made of jutting limestone slabs. There was a chest of drawers, a liquor cabinet, a chandelier. There was a washroom nearby, complete with sauna and hot spring, and a study, a small rotunda lined with bookshelves and furnished with a square oak desk. I packed what effects I would need in sunscape. A few days' rations of bread and dried meat, some flint and steel, a rope, a lantern. I packed a hunting knife, though I suspected the Phantom Ring's dagger would suffice. I also included a small disguise kit, makeup and brushes, old age prosthetics, false facial hair. As for money, Isolde approved me for 500 gleams, a small fortune. Standard per diem was 25 gleams per mission. This increase was to help me procure any Alzarian devices that could decipher the chip. If it was not enough, of course, I would have to make a far less amicable transaction. Finally, I was provided with clothes in the proper sea folk fashion. Cotton poet blouse, black linen weskin, and sailor's slops. A green and gold bandana and a leather tricorn hat completed the ensemble. I tried to eat. The mist could produce anything I could think of, but it never tasted quite right. Everything seemed just a little too perfect. Never too hot or too cold, never charred or in need of just a little salt. Like the rest of this place, it seemed designed to dull my senses, to blur my definition of reality. Sometimes I tried conjuring something appalling on purpose, just to see if the mist would oblige. This time I tried pickled eggs. Sure enough, they were frustratingly pleasant. I tried to sleep. A torrent of thoughts drowned my mind, robbing me of peace. What awaited me in Sunscape? Would it be the end of me? Every time I stepped through a mist door, I feared I was walking into death itself. Everwake was out there, a faceless, formless enemy. Who was I to face it? An indentured servant, armed with a magic ring, some raven dust, and his wits? If I were a God's fearing man, I might have prayed. 
but I had no fear for the gods, only for a fright. Sleep stole me. I had one dream. I was in the middle of an ocean. There was no boat or raft. I stood on the surface of the water. There were no waves. The sky was piercing bright blue and cloudless. On the horizon, I saw someone else standing, a silhouette. I could not make out their face, but somehow I knew they were looking at me. They wanted something from me. Then I heard a low, resonant wail from deep underwater. I looked down. A massive shadow, a tendril of some unfathomably large beast slinked through the depths. Suddenly, the shadow twisted around and began to surface. The wailing grew louder. I tried to run, but my feet splashed in place on the surface of the sea. I watched in terror as the shadow barreled up from the depths, the wailing now a horrible shriek in my ears. I clasped my hands over my ears, watching the shadow near the surface. I braced myself, and in an instant, the shadow disappeared. I searched the depths, but could not find a trace of the monstrous specter. I looked up to the horizon. The silhouette was gone also. I was alone, standing in a tranquil ocean under a blue sky, with nothing and no one to run to. I woke. Faint light touched my face from a nearby window. There was no dawn in the ebon mist, nor was there dusk. It was disorienting. Worse still was knowing I would soon leave and step back into the world. The mist allowed its agents an intuition for time all across Exeser. Sunscape was in the east. It would be around midday by the time I arrived. I ate an apple and drank some coffee. Then I dressed, gathered my things, and left my quarters. The space evaporated into smoke the moment I left. I found myself again in the graveyard of stone doors, glowing trees and black mist. Keeping my destination in mind, I searched the doors. None of them had their destinations marked. I had to trust that the mist would guide me to the sunscape door. As I passed each door, I had an intense vision of the place it would lead. A lush jungle with trees that blotted the sky. A poisoned swamp filled with skulking creatures. An immaculate city atop a narrow stone spire. A few of the doors led to places the world had forgotten. Submerged in the bottom of an ocean, digesting in some great monster's belly 
or buried under centuries of sand in the desert. These doors were covered by sheets and bound in chains. I wondered if they would ever again be used. One vision stopped me. A small cove, obscured from outside view by a number of great rocks. I felt a sense of assurance come over me. This was it. The door itself was askew, propped up at an angle by a cedar behind it. I leaned over the door, placing my hand on the mark of the ebon mist etched into its face. It lit up an icy blue, as did the mark on my arm. The door collapsed into a tunnel of swirling shadows. It knocked me off balance. I lurched forward, tumbling through the door. My body was frozen in place. The shadows rushed past me. The echoes of Exesor filled the tunnel. Swords clashing, rhythmic chants, birds of prey screaming through the sky, wedding bells, newborns crying, laughter, footsteps in mud, the clattering of wooden spoons. I crashed, face first into a mound of hot sand. My body flipped over and I landed on my back. My pack and personal effects slid down the mound beside me. Wheezing from the impact, I rolled onto my stomach to catch my breath. As I hacked and spat the mealy sand from my mouth, I realized I was indeed on a beach. The dull roar of sea waves called in the distance. Salty air filled my lungs. A bright midday sun blinded me from overhead. I squinted up at the mist door. It was embedded in a sandbank, almost completely covered, save for the hole I had made when I shot through. I caught my breath, stood up and brushed the sand away. Reclaiming my pack, I attempted to gather my bearings. As my eyes adjusted to the light, I saw that I stood atop a small sand dune, tucked away behind a crag near the same cove I had seen in my vision. A rocky cliff behind me stretched up for hundreds of feet, atop which I could see a dense curtain of banana trees and black tree ferns. Standing before me was the sea, docile for now, but clearly formidable. Rows of tall sea rocks stuck out like teeth around the cove, obscuring it from outside view. The waves crashed against the rocks, shooting crystal blue sprays high into the air. Descending from the sand mound, I carefully made my way around the crag towards the cove proper. I had to clutch the cracks and stones of the crag's face for support, as I waded waist-deep through the high tide. At one point, my foot caught on some errant seaweed, and I tumbled forward, splashing my shirt and weskin. I recovered, and eventually reached the cove's beach. I stopped to take it all in. The same rocky cliffside covered the entirety of the cove. There were no holes or crevices, save for a couple of birds' nests made from indents where rocks had fallen.
the base of the rock wall had some rubble and foliage, but was otherwise pristine as well. I saw no ship docks, no watchtowers, no lifts, nor tunnels. There were no signs of anything handmade at all, let alone the makings of an infamous pirate haven. I began to wonder if the ebon mist had led me astray. I left the shoreline and hiked up to the cliffside some five hundred feet away. As I neared it, I began to make out a carving of some kind. It appeared to be located directly in the middle of the cove's bend, as far from the shoreline as possible. It was a large, round seal, the size of my entire body, carved out of the cliff itself. It depicted a galleon sailing into a sunset, with a fleet of mermaids trailing behind. I inspected the seal's surroundings, looking for some indication of a door or passageway. If there was one, I could not find it. Tentatively, I tried running my hands along the cliffside, pushing, scraping, and prodding in hopes of finding some clue. Nothing. I stepped back, considering the piece. It was far too conspicuous to be simply decorative. Then again, perhaps it was a diversion, a trap laid for those seeking sunscape with ill intent. My eyes darted to the top of the cliff, trying to spot anyone hiding in the trees and ferns above. Foliage swayed in the gentle breeze. A family of birds cawed in a nest overhead. The waves continued their lulling rhythm on the rocks behind me. Everything was a little too serene, a little too harmless. I turned to make for the beach again. I stopped. Standing in the center of the beach was a silhouette that hadn't been there before. It was hard to tell from afar, but whomever it was appeared not to have noticed me. Cautiously, I approached, mindful of my every step. My eyes scanned the beach for more, but none could be seen. I reminded myself of my effects phantom ring, the raven dust. If all else failed, perhaps I could make a break for the mist door. As I drew nearer, the figure became more clear. It was human, male, tall and full-bodied. Wild red hair danced in the breeze like tongues of fire. Clean, sun-kissed skin with just a hint of sweat. He faced the sea, a fishing pole in his hands. A sea-foam green robe covered him, with red and gold flowers printed on it. His sandals were oiled leather with no scuff marks, far too comfortable an ensemble for him to have traveled far. I do not know how long he knew I was behind him. When he spoke... It was with an ease one normally finds between good friends, relaxing on a warm, quiet day. 
I'll never know why the world can't just sit around and fish. I froze, several feet behind him, unsure of what to say. He looked back at me. Full lips smiled at me, creasing crow's feet around his beady brown eyes. His teeth were frighteningly white. Gold piercings dotted his bushy eyebrows, and he sported a bar across the wide bridge of his nose. There was a sizable hole in the rook of his right ear. There were burn scars around it. Do you know what I mean? So much tension in the world. Everyone thinks there's something more to life, so we fight until there's nothing left. If only we could all just trade our weapons for fishing poles, wouldn't you agree? I think the fish would have a different opinion, I replied. Good point, the fisherman chuckled. He faced the water again. Was it the wardens? Pardon? You didn't swim here, did you? The fisherman nodded at the large rocks enclosing the cove. The wardens have been known to sink their share of ships looking for this place. I decided to capitalize on the opportunity for an alibi. Yes. My schooner wrecked about a mile east the other day. I've been looking for my crewmen. I think they might have made it to Sunscape. The fisherman grimaced. That's some fickle wind, sailor. Sad to tell you, none but you have come to this cove without a ship in the last month. Oh, gods, I muttered, trying to sound authentic. I have to try and find them, you understand. Could you lead me to the docks? The fisherman nodded slowly, eyes watching his line. Then he cast a side eye at me. This is no ordinary port of call, you understand. I know of its reputation, yes. I do not mean to cause trouble. You'll be in the minority in that case. But no one cares about that in Sunscape. Only what you can offer the market. The finest goods in Exeser are traded there. Seafire diamonds from the depths of wool. Cloaks made from the feathers of sky-touchers. Just last week, we got Emperor Tashalan's ceremonial scepter. That last one surprised me. Aren't you worried the Imperium will come looking for that? They were the ones who donated it. The Imperium wants a slice, just like everybody else. We don't let them inside, of course. Just made the trade right here on this beach. So where is Sunscape, exactly? The fisherman smiled as he began to reel in his fishing line. You were looking at it a second ago. Before you can go in, though, I must ask. What have you to offer the market? I have money. No offense, sailor. But after everything I've told you, you think we need your money? The fisherman finished reeling his line and carried his fishing pole as he began to walk up the beach towards the cliff. No one comes in without at least one thing of value, 
You don't necessarily need to sell it, mind, but everyone must know you have it. I am sure everyone is perfectly civil with that information, I called out, trailing behind the fisherman. Violence does happen, yes, but transparency can be an equalizer. Everyone has something to lose. He turned around to face me, continuing to walk backward. So I ask again, what have you got? For a moment, I considered showing him the Alzarian chip. I thought better of it. A gatekeeper like this could have far-reaching connections. I knew next to nothing about Everwake or their influence. For all I knew, the fishermen could report to them as soon as I entered Sunscape. Instead, I took out the pouch of raven dust from my pack. I took a pinch of it and rolled it around in my fingers, eventually producing a live raven. To my mild surprise, the fisherman snorted. That's a nice parlor trick, sailor. Are you going to guess what number I'm thinking of next? I put the raven away, frustrated. With some hesitation, I summoned a longsword with the phantom ring. I have this, too. The fisherman's eyes lingered on the ring. After a moment, he said, That won't fetch you much, I'm afraid. It's a butter knife compared to what's inside. It's all I've got. I just need to find my friends and buy passage home. Can't we work something out? At this, the fisherman rolled his eyes. He began to frown, seemingly in contemplation, though the corners of his mouth betrayed a faint smile. A sinking sensation formed in the pit of my stomach. It occurred to me that perhaps this was not the first time visitors to Sunscape had been in this situation. I guess I could let you slide, but you'll have to do something for me. I considered the fisherman's offer. I was already paying off one debt. Starting another did not seem appealing. What's your price? I asked. Let's just say you'll owe me one. I tilted my head and squinted at him. You understand how that sounds from my perspective, right? The fisherman raised his arms, as if presenting the whole island. Welcome to Sunscape, sailor. If my terms are not agreeable, he offered me his fishing pole. Maybe you'll have better luck out here. It was my turn to roll my eyes. Part of me wanted to run back to the mist and swipe Quinn's floating drone to sell. That would surely give me away at this point, though. There was more to this man, to this island, than met the eye. I could no longer assume I was not being watched, studied, or talked about behind closed doors. I was walking into the proverbial wolf's den, and this fisherman just handed me a nice bloody stake to wear around my neck. We reached the cliffside. The fisherman leaned back against the seal, watching me with his arms crossed. 
All right, I accept. The fisherman nodded lazily, as if this were a foregone conclusion. I thought you looked like a smart man. Don't worry. I'll make sure to think of what I want quickly, so that you can get out of here. He met my eyes. A sudden hardness covered his expression. Don't try to run. I am a fair man, but I expect my debts to be paid. No one leaves Sunscape without my permission. Everyone gets it wrong when they come here, you see. Those rocks are not the wardens of Sunscape. I am. He put his finger and thumb in his mouth and whistled. Something fell from the top of the cliff. I jumped back as it unraveled all the way to the ground. It was a rope ladder. Again, I scanned the top of the cliff, but could see no one. The fisherman tucked the fishing pole into a sash on his robes, then took the ladder in one hand. What's your name? Oren, I lied. Oren Elaine. One last thing, Mr. Elaine. Watch your step. A moment later, the ground began to quake under my feet. The entire cliffside rattled. Rubble, plant life, and debris rained down from above. A crack opened up, running from the top of the cliff down to the base, straight through the center of the seal. I stumbled back as the entire cliffside began to open outward like a gate. I watched the warden climb the rope ladder up one side of the opening wall. I could hear gears and pulleys working from within, metal machinations pushing the rock wall forward. There seemed to be a kind of tunnel made for ships to pass through, built inside the cliff. In my amazement, I failed to notice the ground beneath me begin to sink. I looked down. The ground of the beach itself was collapsing, as though an underwater dam were opening up. Seawater began to flow towards me, running from the cove to the cliffside. I considered making for the rope ladder, but it was already being pulled back up the cliff. With nowhere else to turn, I made for the tunnel, running as fast as I could. Within moments, the current hit me like a bull. Pain racked my back and legs, and the wind was knocked out of me. It swept me up. I tumbled in the water as it carried me into the ever-widening cliffside door. I struggled for air as I fought to stay above the surface. My pack was again ripped from me and floated down the stream. Overhead, rocks and plant debris fell into the current blasting water, dirt, and gravel all around me. As I passed into the dark tunnel, the splashes reverberated through the stone walls. Eventually, the splashes ceased as the gate finished opening. The flow evened out, and I regained my bearings. Up ahead, I could barely make out a large chamber flanked by metal gates. It looked like a kind of lift lock, used to transport ships between areas with different water levels. 
I saw silhouettes on the sides of the tunnel, standing on graded metal bridges. They carried lanterns and glow bulbs attached to sticks. One of them called out to me. I saw them toss a buoy attached to a rope. I swam towards it. Again I heard the mechanical groans of the gate. I watched it begin to close up behind me. As the light of the cove was sealed off, I felt a chill in my heart, deeper than the chill of the seawater. I had felt alone before, and often since my contract with Isolde. Yet here in this darkened chamber, surrounded by murderers and thieves, I felt something new. It was as the warden had said, Identity didn't matter here, only one's value. In Sunscape, I was not Claude Von Der. I was not even Orin Elaine. I was nothing but the gold in my purse, the sword in my hand, or the meat on my bones. I was in the den, indeed, and the wolves were hungry. Echoes of Exeser is written, produced, and performed by Nick Walker. Sound design courtesy of GarageBand, freesounds.org, and Sword Coast Soundscapes and Austin's Trunk on YouTube. For questions or comments, email us at echoesofexeser at gmail.com.